title is A Transformed Life. A Transformed Life. If you go to Luke chapter 4. Last week we touched on this. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And verse 1 he says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is the good and acceptable and perfect. And Last week I shared that our greatest gift that we can give to God is a renewed mind. The renewed mind starts by remembering God's mercies towards us. And then we have to present our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, we're the ones that have to do that. We present our bodies. In other words, we're saying, God, my heart is yours. I give it all to you. I surrender to you. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. And and that's what the renewed mind says. And that's what it is for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're saying, God, I'm yours. Have your way in me. And when he talks about being a living sacrifice, he's talking about being alive unto God and dead unto us. And dead unto the ways of the world. Because we live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And that's what a living sacrifice is. We're going to live to God, but we're not going to live to our selfish, sinful nature. And it says that this is our spiritual act of worship. And as I was re- you know, reading this and, and praying about it, it dawned on me that this is our spiritual act of worship. And you know what is happening during this time? There is absolutely no music going on. We're not here at a worship service. We're not here with one another, you know, singing to God, which is great. But our spiritual act of worship is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, presenting our bodies unto the Lord. And guess what? There's no music that goes on then. It's not a happy time at the beginning. But man, when you come out of it, it's a glorious time. And we're not waiting for the right atmosphere to offer ourselves up to the Lord. You know, and we even heard about it in, in, the, in between, after worship. And, and, you know, when life happens, that's when we're offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice, we're like, God, you know, this is hard, but I'm trusting in you. I'm staying the course. I'm not going to be swayed and moved by others. You know, I, I've told you this story before, but it's worth bringing up again. That when I was walking with the Lord and in my younger years, I told the Lord, I said, I prayed and I said, God, I said, I don't want anything to move me unless it's your, your word and your spirit. And then you remember how long it was, Diane? The, Diana and the kids had to suffer because, man, I was a mess. Because what started happening was all of these things started happening in my life and I was being moved by them. And it wasn't good. It wasn't pretty. Flesh was coming out. It was rising up. And I think it happened at least a year before I got wise on this. 
And one day I'm just praying before the Lord. I'm like, God, what is going on with all this? I said, all of these things are moving me. And I said, it's terrible. Richard, it's not good to come out. And he said to me, he said, I'm just answering your prayer. I said, well, I don't know what prayer it is, but I revoke it. I take it back. But he brought me back to that day when I prayed and I said, God, I don't want anything to move me except for your word and your spirit. And he said, I just wanted you to see what really moves you. I went, oh. I still revoke that prayer. <laughs> but that's what it is to be a living sacrifice. It's just us and God and he speaks and he wants to see if we're going to obey him or not. And then we begin our transformation, which is becoming more and more like Jesus. I mean, that's what this word transformation is, right? It's becoming more and more like Jesus. And that happens by the renewing of our minds. And I, I you know, don't. There's no other way. You can't be transformed any other way except for by the renewing of our minds. That's how it happens. And it happens when we start walking with the Spirit. And He causes us to put to death and crucify our flesh. And that's when we stop becoming conformed to the ways of the world. And we stop giving in to our sinful desires and pleasures. We're choosing to walk in God's Word. It is only with and through a renewed mind that we're able to become all that God has called us to be. It is with and through the renewed mind that we can rise above the lies and the filthiness of this world that wants to hold us down. Now, I'm, I'm going to, in Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at that in just a second. But I'm going to make a statement that I don't know how to make it any other way except for I'll make it and then I'll try to explain it. But Jesus modeled how we walk in a renewed mind, even though he never had to renew his mind. OK, I mean, we we're born into sin. He wasn't. OK, and so he didn't have the battle, but he paved the way for us. He showed us how we do do it. I mentioned it last week and um, I'm not going to touch on it too much this week. I'm hoping to look at it again next week, but um, so Jesus had a renewed mind in the sense that he gave himself continually to the Father and to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I'm, I mentioned last week that um, when his parents left him at the temple when he was 12 and he's in, the, in their teaching and they're marveling at him and stuff and when his parents finally found him and you know they were upset that he was there and he says, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? He had a mindset. He was wanting to please the Father. And, you know, anything that he did, he said, I've seen the Father do it. That's why I did it. Or I've heard the Father say it. That's why I said it. That's the renewed mind. That's what God wants in each and every one of us. But the interesting thing is, is that Jesus was tempted just like Adam was tempted. Okay, he was tempted to turn away from trusting in God. He was tempted to turn away from walking in what he had heard and what he had seen the Father do, doing. He was, he was tempted not to do that. Just like Adam was, Jesus was, but he didn't fall for the temptation. He stayed true to God. He didn't turn away from God. He stayed true with God. He never gave in to the lies of the enemy. 
And Jesus stayed under submission to God's word, God's plans and purposes for his life. And I mean, and I'm here to think it wasn't easy either. We're going to look at those in just a second, but you know, so anyways, in Luke chapter four, we, we're going to look at these verses, understanding that Jesus is tempted just as we are. Okay. And you'll see it as we go through this. Luke chapter four, starting in verse one. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sometimes we think that it's just the enemy all the time. God tests us. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So he's being confronted. All right? And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I love that. He was hungry. You know why he adds it? Because he wants us to know that Jesus was walking in the flesh. He was walking as a human being. And he's, he's being tempted in the same way we were. You know, I don't like to be hungry. I, I'll just be honest with you. I do not like to be hungry. And for 40 days he didn't eat. And he was hungry. And so you know when you're hungry. You can be hangry. Right? You can be hungry and when you're hungry you can be angry. And Snickers did a good thing. Verse 3. So he's in this phase. The devil said to him. If you are the son of God. Now here's the challenge. This is right after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where it come, the words from heaven speak, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now here's the challenge right away. If you are the son of God. And the devil does that with us. If you are a Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus. Okay? The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him. What did he say? It's underlined. It is written. This is the renewed mind in action. Except for Jesus didn't have to renew. But he's teaching us what a renewed mind looks like. We can answer the enemy. We can answer the temptations that the enemy brings our way. The same way Jesus did. It is written. And so he says, and Jesus answered him, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and, he, and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. And he's correct. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me. It will be yours. How do you answer that? That's a great temptation. A lot of power there. But Jesus also knows that he's a liar. and He's been a liar from the beginning. And every time he opens his mouth, he's lying. So he's lying about this. He's not going to give it to him if he bows down. But this is Jesus' answer. And Jesus said to him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only you shall serve. 
And so the enemy's getting a little frustrated. Maybe he needs to go on a 40-day fast. Because he's not getting victory over this one. And here, here's, listen to this in verse 9. And so he, he's going to try, try to twist things. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to them, said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. Okay, now the enemy's trying to use the word of God against him. Okay, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so now the enemy is just twisting the word of God, just like he did in the garden with Adam. He twisted it. And Jesus answered him, it is said, that's the same thing as saying it is written, right? It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And, and so I just want to encourage you that when you're going through it and when you're being tempted, the, you can say it is written and the enemy will take it two or three times. But then he's going to come back and he's going to try and tell you what the word of God says. He's going to twist the word of God. He's going to take it out of context. And if you don't know the whole word of God, if you don't have the heart of God and his understanding, you're going to fall for it. You're going to fall for the lies. And so that's why it's so important for us to be able to know the word of God. Adam could have answered the enemy with the word of God and just stopped. But he didn't. He got into a conversation with him. That's like getting into a conversation with a three-year-old. Don't do it! They're going to beat you. They're going to outwit you sooner or later. They're going to wear you out. Don't engage. Just speak truth. And then let it go. He could, Adam could have defeated the enemy just like Jesus did according to the Word of God. What God had already spoken to Adam and Eve. But he didn't. But Jesus comes along and he stays true to the Father and his word. And he wasn't buying into the twist of God's word. And to make it say what it doesn't say. And, and to get us to turn away from our greatest love and our greatest life that we can live walking with God. There is no greater life than to live the life that God has called us to. To stay true to God and his word no matter what. And Jesus answered the enemy twice with the word of God and the enemy tries to twist the word of God. And we read that in verses 9 and 11. I'm not going to go back there. Okay, we've seen how the enemy does it. He, he twists it. We have to know God's word. We have to give ourselves to the studying of God's word and to surround ourselves with mature godly people who have a proven track record with the word of God in their lives. Who can help us, who will... Encourage us to walk according to the word of God. We can't be lone rangers. And we can't be out there trying to find people that will give us what we want to hear. And agree with us, us with what we want. We have to look at God's word and we give ourselves to God's word. When the enemy twisted the word of God, he was trying to get them to turn away from the word of God. Just... He did that in the garden, but he tried it with Jesus as well. Trying to get him to turn away from the Father. And 
Thank God Jesus didn't fall for it. But the sad thing is, is we keep falling for it. You know what really upsets me is the fact that we don't have to have make the enemy come up with a new scheme. That bothers me. We keep falling for the same stupid lie. We keep letting him bring doubt into our minds, into our hearts concerning God and his love for us. And then we fall for it. That bothers me. I don't want to be like that. I want him to have to come up with a new strategy to get me to fall. But he can't. And what we read in Luke with the going out into the wilderness and being hungry and the, and the enemy tempting him, it's not the only place he was tempted. So I want to look at that. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 14, please. Mark chapter 14. I will say this, if you're ever having a bad day, just start reading Mark chapter 14. Okay? Because Mark doesn't fluff anything. He just, boom, lays it out. He, he just kind of like, he, he's the shortest gospel book because he just doesn't say much, but what he says is powerful. Okay? Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And when they... Or, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said, Jesus, to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So he's agonizing. He's in a major struggle here. His flesh knows what's coming up and his flesh is saying, I don't want to go there. And he, he's starting to pray and he's like, Father, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. In other words, he's saying, I know that you can get this cup to be removed. He says, remove this cup from me, yet not as not what I will, but what you will. And so he was tempted in the garden not to go to the cross. He was tempted in the garden to turn away from the plan that the father had for him. And, you know, when you're tempted, I want you to know it's only because the enemy is trying to get us to turn away from the plan that God has for us and, and the purposes that God has for us because they're better than anything he can imagine. And he doesn't want us walking in them. So Jesus said, yet not what I will, but what you will. He was tempted on the cross. Go with me to Mark chapter 15. Just one more chapter. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verse 26. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, ah, 
You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. You see, he's trying to get him to turn away from what God had ordained. What God had planned and purposed for his life. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 31. So also the chief priest with their scribes mocked him to one another saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Oh. That's a strong temptation to come down. Come down now from the cross. And that's hard enough, but then they say that we may see and believe. In other words, they're trying to tempt him even more. That if you would come down from the cross, we'll believe in you. What are you going to believe in if he comes down then? Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And so there was that temptation. Um, John chapter 10, verse 10. Most of us are familiar with that, especially if we come here. But it says, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I share that here because I want us to understand that the enemy hates people. The enemy hates all people. He doesn't care if you're saved or unsaved. He hates you. That's the bottom line. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. And so the enemy's job is to try and steal, kill, and destroy anything that God has in our lives. Any good, any love, any fellowship, any relationships that are biblical and godly, the enemy wants to destroy them. Because he doesn't want us walking in anything that God has for us. He can't get to God. And so the only way he can get to God is through his children. And we have to understand how much he hates people. When, when you go to work tomorrow, there's people there that God loves that don't even know him. That the enemy may be wreaking havoc on, but God still loves them. As believers, we can believe in God and still be a, a pawn for the enemy. We can still give in to the temptation and forfeit all that God has for us. Brian, can you mute me? I muted me too. The enemy doesn't want us to come to the knowledge of God. He will do everything in his power to keep us from coming to the knowledge of God, to coming to the salvation through Jesus Christ. And he, and he doesn't ever want us to come to the understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He wants us to remain ignorant of that. He, he, 
If he can't keep us from being saved, then the next thing is, is he wants to keep us from growing. And if he can't keep that, then he wants us. He wants to keep us from walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be ignorant of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you know what? There's a lot of believers who are ignorant of the power of God that is available to them with the Holy Spirit. And so the enemy tries to keep us ignorant of all of that. Because if he can keep us ignorant of that, I promise you, we will become weary and we will turn away from God. The enemy will do everything in his power to get us to doubt God's word and therefore begin to doubt God's love for us and therefore turn away from God. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, please. He will do everything in his power to get us to doubt God's word. Doubting his love, hoping that we would turn away from God and do our own thing and become our own God. And I want to encourage you as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 11, don't ever turn away from God in his word and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a fight of faith, but the Bible says it's a good fight because it's the fight that we win if we'll continue in. And even though we may not see all the results in the natural in our time, the fight of faith is worth it because there's a better life for us to live and there's a better life for others coming behind us to live. And that's what's so amazing to me is that what we do isn't just about us. It isn't just for us. It's for God. It's for His kingdom. It's for those who are going to come after us. You know, I think we live in such a great country. But then, especially around Thanksgiving, you begin to hear the stories of these, of the pilgrims and everything that they had to go through. It wasn't easy. Man, I thank God for them. You know, this past week I heard that uh, on one of the ships that came over, I, I believe there was 152 people and after the first year, there was only 50-some left. That's, that's hard. That's tough. But they didn't give in. They kept moving forward. They kept pressing. They kept believing for God to do something great in this country. And He did. And He still will. There are so many heroes of the faith that have suffered incredible atrocities. But if you can ask them, they would do it again because God is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. And, you know, this is the hall of faith, the heroes of faith. And he starts up. But I just I like verse 32. We'll start there. And he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Wouldn't that be awesome? Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, Woo. became mighty in war, but put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. 
And that's a great picture, but here's some more of that picture as well. Some were tor tortured, refusing to accept release. So that, thank you, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Ooh. They were killed with the sword. Let me ask you a question. Do you really want to become a believer? This is what they... You know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, you know what they did? They offered themselves as living sacrifices. They weren't going to give in to the temptations of this world. They were going to stay true to God no matter how hard it was. I'm thinking when you're being sawed into, that's pretty difficult. That's, that's a challenge. Verse 37 will continue. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Can I ask you a question? Do you think their Christian life was about them? What is it, was it about their comfort zone? Let me read again in verse 37, the middle of it. It says, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. If this is not mistreated in the sense that we think of mistreated. Mistreated in our Christianity is somebody didn't look at me right. Somebody didn't treat me right. Somebody didn't greet me right. Somebody sat in my chair. They didn't sing the right song. And, and then we go away and we're, we have a complex because I don't think that church loves me. People sat in my chair. They didn't sing the songs that I wanted. It was too cold. It was too hot. They sang too long. They didn't sing long enough. That's mistreatment in our Christianity. That's not what they're talking about. You know, well, let me go on. I'll get to my point in just a second. Verse 39, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. Us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God is so amazing. Sometimes we just have to talk to ourselves and remind ourselves of what a great privilege it is to know God and His love and to respond to it with all our heart. You know, we can sing that song. Lord, I give you my heart. I surrender all. But when the rubber meets the road, are we still willing to do that? When things don't go our way, are we still willing to trust Him? I think of Peter who refused to be crucified like Jesus because they were going to crucify him. And he said, oh. he said, I'm not worthy of it. He said, hang me upside down if you're going to crucify me. 
He knew what he was saying. He knew what he was doing. That's amazing love. That's amazing worship. That's Christianity. How easy is it for us to turn away from God's love and to seek our own and to do our own thing? How we often pick and choose our type of Christianity according to our likes and our dislikes, according to our taste, according to our comfort zones, treating God like uh, we demand at a buffet table with all the things that we like. And we sit there and we look at the table and, and we just go to the things that we like. We, do, we don't get it all. And, and we expect God to treat us like that. We expect God to serve us instead of us serving Him. We, we demand on God without having any concern what He thinks, what He wants, what He desires from us. We expect Him to serve us. And you know what? The, the Scripture says that He's preparing a feast for us, and yet we're not willing to sit down and eat that feast. We want our own. We want to pick and choose. How far we have come from making our life about Him as believers and making it about us. And you see, that happens because we're not transformed. And we're not transformed because we're not renewing our minds. That's why it's important that we go back and read Hebrews chapter 11 every so often and to know what real Christianity looks like. Not this American Christianity. Somebody says something about you and you get all bent out of shape. You know, especially nowadays with social media and stuff. It's sad how many people are living their life wanting others and, and wanting the acceptance from others. And they don't even care about accepting God and pleasing God. I'm more concerned with what God thinks about me than what you think about me. Sorry to say. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to be mean to you. I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to treat you like God wants me to treat you. But I'm more concerned with what He thinks about my life than what you think about my life. And then, you know, all these people have mental complexes, man. I'm, I'm serious. It's out there. Because they're, they're wanting to get these likes from everybody else who don't even know them. They just know what they post. They don't know the real them. And here we know the real us. And we need to be more concerned about what God thinks about us. We have made Christianity about us and not becoming more and more like Jesus. We've come to the place where we're, we're just okay with going to heaven. But some of us have got this mindset that we're going to heaven and we're going to do it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra saying that, right? I did it my way. There's so many Christians, believers, churchgoers who sing that song on a daily basis. I'm going to do it my way, God. We'll come here on Sunday morning, we'll sing, we'll honor Him, we'll worship Him, we'll declare, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And He says, well, give me some money. Ah! Uh -huh. Give me some money so I can send others, because you're not going to go. Ah! Uh -huh. God, I'll go. And then He tells us where to go. God, I ain't going there. Don't ever tell God you're not going somewhere. 
That'll be the place you're going. He's, he's got a sense of humor too. Yes. I wasn't going to bring it up, honey. You see, our type of Christianity, I don't think qualifies for a life that we've presented to God as a living sacrifice. I don't know what next week looks like. I, I have something in mind, but who knows if it's going to come out. But eventually, I promise, we're going to get to how did Jesus do what he did? Which how Jesus did what he did is how we need to do it too so we can become like him. So we can be transformed. You know, I don't want to be transformed. <laughs> and don't, don't shut me down. As a New Life family church member. I, I want to be known as a Jesus freak. I want to be known as somebody who belongs to Jesus. Not a church, not a denomination, not anything else. Just give me Jesus. In the Gospels, it says that there were some guys that came and they were shielding them from Jesus. And when they got down to it, they said, we just want to see Jesus. And you know where Jesus is nowadays? On the earth, he's in us. He is us. The transformed life is becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what God's goal is for every one of our lives. And to do that, we have to renew our mind. And we have to be willing to be crucified. Alright, stand with me. You know, I, I shared at the beginning, there's no music when we're offering our spiritual worship unto the Lord. There's no band playing behind us saying, go, go, go. Let him kill you. Crucify that flesh. Because you know when you're crucifying the flesh, it's not fun. We have temper tantrums and everything else. And, you know, we learn. <laughs> we learn and we taught our kids, that you want to have a temper tantrum? Guess what? You're going to be the only one there. You can have them, but nobody's going to participate with you. And do you know what happens when nobody participates with the temper tantrum? They stop. Because they're not getting the attention that they wanted. It's a great word of encouragement, isn't it? <laughs> Come back next week. And I'll give you more of this. <laughs> Father, we do thank you for this day and the love that you have for us. Thank you for this time together. And I, Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, I know that the hearts of your people in here is to become more and more like Jesus. And Lord, that's going to mean transformation. And Father, that means that we have to renew our minds. And Father, that means that we have to present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. And Father, the way we do that is to remember your mercies. Remember your mercies. Help us, Father. Because, Father, we want to become like Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. All right. Have a great week.